Welcome to our first prayer service of the year. Thank you for being here, both online and in person. Let's take our hymn books and go to 541, Abide With Me. Um, one thing I'm aiming for with our music for Wednesday nights this year is to put prayers in place for the hymns. A lot of the hymns are prayers to God, which includes Abide With Me. So 541. indeed it is our desire tonight that you abide with us. Indeed you promise never to leave us nor forsake us. You've commanded us to abide in you. And certainly Father it is our desire that we would have that fellowship with you that we might bear fruit for you and that the fruit of the Spirit would be manifested in our lives as we are surrendered to the Spirit of God. We thank you for this opportunity tonight to come together to bring our request to you as a body in Christ, to study your word together as well. We pray, Father, that you would be glorified in and through us. We thank you for this new year. Thank you for blessing us in this past year. We pray, Father, for that continued blessing in this coming year. And I pray that we would be in the place of your blessing, that indeed we would be abiding in Christ and you would be abiding with us and that we'd have that sweet fellowship together. As we think of this coming year we would pray Father for our annual business meeting coming up in just uh, two weeks. We ask Father for your leading and your direction in every decision that we make. May the head of the church which is Jesus Christ be guiding us. May we be surrendered to him 
And may we make decisions according to your will. As we think, Father, of the, the new officers to be elected for this coming year, we pray that only those of your choosing would be elected to those officers. And we thank you, Father, that we can trust you in all things. We thank you that you have promised that you would indeed bestow your grace upon us as we would humble ourselves before you. Indeed, as we have just sung, the only thing that could ever take away the tempter's power is your grace. It's not in our own strength. It's not in our own wisdom. It's not in our own efforts, but only by your grace that we can have victory over sin, that we can have victory over the tempter, that we can have victory over our own flesh. And I pray, Father, that we might indeed be humbled before you. We do pray for our teens as they are meeting for the first time this year and as they've had a break over the holiday seasons. We pray, Father, that as they come together tonight that they might be open to the truths of your word, that they might apply it to their lives. We pray for the salvation of those teens that have not trusted Christ as their Savior. Give the leaders wisdom as they interact with these teens and some of them, Father, coming from perhaps very challenging backgrounds and circumstances. I pray that you would give our teen leaders wisdom as they would counsel and interact and advise them. We pray, Father, for our kids club tonight and pray that the, the Kids for Truth uh, ministry would be fruitful. Likewise, that these young children would know Christ as their Savior, that they would grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Pray for those leaders as well as they begin a new year, as they would interact May they truly manifest your love to these children. Guide us, Father, in our Bible study here tonight. May we understand your truth. May we apply it to our lives. May we leave this place knowing you more, growing in our love for you, growing in our desire to serve you. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's continue in prayer tonight. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we just come before you this evening, Lord, uh, to give you thanks, to glorify your name. Thank you, Lord, for those that are able to be out this evening, uh, maybe over the holidays or they were sick with all the different bugs and flus and COVIDs that have been going around in Bradford County, Lord. We, we pray that 2023, that they are healthy and that they get healthy from uh, those sicknesses that they've had. Thinking of 2022, we just thank you, Lord, for that year. Uh, we thank you for bringing us into 2023 to give us the breath, to give us the uh, knowledge of knowing you. We know that there may be some here or family members, and maybe we lost family members this past year. And that's always tragic for a family member to be gone starting a new year, but Lord, we also know that coming into the new year with you, we have glory forever for eternity. Even in times that we struggle, that we have to uh, wonder why, all we have to do, not on our own strength, but the strength of the Holy Spirit that you give us, that we can still have that soul joy that only you can give nothing that i or we can do to uh, by works by lots of thinking by lots of studying none of those things can take away our sins lord only you and your grace and through your son jesus christ are we able to stand or sit here this evening and praise and glorify your name, Lord. We do thank you for the leadership uh, this past year. We thank you for our pastors and the prayer warriors, the teachers, the deacons, the trustees, all those that just uh, send out cards that uh, are always looking to glorify you through helping someone else. We have so many volunteers. Uh, we give thank you for that, Lord. Again, uh, 
as we think of our youth that are coming back from a few weeks off, Lord, we ask you to be with them, be with uh, Pastor Eddie and, and the other leaders within that group. We know that they will be heading out uh, to an event this weekend. We ask you to be with the leaders and those that are attending with them. And may the uh, teens, those that are unsaved, those that maybe have never gone on one of these uh, weekend adventures with, to glorify Jesus, that they may come to know you, Lord. We think of uh, the younger children that are with in the back this evening that are uh, playing games and having time and fellowship with each other. We ask you to be with those leaders as they teach these young ones uh, how to enjoy being a Christian, to enjoy the, the, uh, that you have only given us through your spirit. Our hearts may be heavy uh, as we were, our hearts may be happy, they may be sad, but in all those times, Lord, we can still have the comfort in our souls through you. We just give you thanks. We thank you for our this past year. We thank you for the upcoming business meeting that we're going to have later this month. Again, Lord, as Pastor Don mentioned, uh, a lot of officers are going to be filled with, with new people, with different leaders possibly. Lord, we just ask you to, you, you're the one that's choosing them, Lord. Whatever uh, position, whatever uh, vote outcome there is, Lord, we know that it's all for your glory. And again, our finances are all in your name to your glory. Uh, never allow the uh, finances to determine how a church is growing or how spiritual they are. It's just foolishness to think those ways. It's only because of you, Lord, and only because of what you have done. Nothing that anyone within our uh, midst, it's not because of anything, no matter how rich or how poor one is, Lord. It's only by your grace and the saving knowledge of, through faith, that people can come to know you. And my prayer for 2023 is that, Lord, we have many that come to know you. Many of these young children, young kids, that teenagers that are coming to these events every week, may 2023 be the year sooner than later that they come to know you. And Lord, we come to glorify you. And Lord, we just wonder if it could be today, tonight, tomorrow. We know that you could come at any time, Lord. And, uh, Lord, we want to be ready. We want to always have our hearts looking towards you, and uh, we praise you. And again, Lord, thank you for our leadership within this body. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We come humbly before you tonight to learn more about you, Lord. We, we say humbly because you are a great God, the one true God, King of kings and Lord of lords. And thinking of that, that you would love me or love each one of us as a sinner, that you would send your son to die for us, Lord. So we thank you for that. We just thank you for each day that you give us. We pray that we'd use that day to honor you. We thank you so much for this church and its stand on your truth. You know, we, we pray, we thank you for the pastors who teach your truth. We thank you for the preparation each week for the lessons and the sermons and their diligence and just preparing your word for us that we can hear that. We, and we pray that our hearts and minds will be open to your truth. We Thank you for the many ministries that we have in this church. We thank you for the leaders of those ministries. And we, we just thank you that even those areas are teaching your truth. And we, we thank even in this dark world, it so would be so easy to give up and just say, there's no help for this world, no help for this country. But Lord, as Christians, 
the darker the world gets, the brighter we should, we should shine. We pray that we should shine and we, that we should not be afraid to be bold to spread your word to those opportunities that you, you present to us, Lord. Too many times we look back and say, well, there is an opportunity and I missed it. But make us more aware of these opportunities that you give us. And again, give us that boldness that we would not be ashamed of the word, not be ashamed of you, but we would tell others of you. I pray that they'd see it in our lives. We thank you for the youth that are meeting here tonight. We thank you for the number that are here that have been showing up. We thank you for the leaders, and we just pray that you would work in their lives, give the leaders the, the words to say. And we just we, we thank you again for these youth that are coming from all areas, and we just pray that this year be a year that many come to know you as their Savior. And Lord, we pray for the, the prodigals. Many families have those who have strayed from your word and strayed from the church. We pray that you'd bring them back. And Lord, give us confidence that when we pray, Lord, that you will answer prayers. You've told us to come to you boldly. And help us not to pray and say, I hope this happens, but pray believing it can happen if it's in your will. Uh, we pray, for the, again, the leaders of this church, that you build a wall around them, that you protect them. There's no other place Satan would like to attack than a church that is teaching your word. So we pray for their protection. We pray for our country, Lord. We pray for a country that seems to be failing in all aspects. So, Lord, you tell us to pray for this country. And, again, it's not too far gone that you can't do something about it because just a thought, you could change it. And it may never happen if, if it's not your will. But, again, we, we just lift it up to you. Lord, we pray for those who are going through trials and those who have gone through trials, those who may be alone, those who are in uh, nursing homes, uh, those unable to get out and and just uh, worship you in, in, your, in the church and different activities. You tell us to be thankful for trials. You tell us that to find joy in trials, Lord. And that's hard for the world to understand that believers can find joy in that, that we can be thankful for trials because you are teaching us something. You are building us up. You are building up our trust in you, Lord. So we, we thank you for these trials, and we just pray that we would just let you, give us the patience to let you handle the, the trial and You've promised us that good would come from those trials. We should have almost an excitement to look forward to what you have for us as we go through trials. We pray for those being persecuted around the world. There are so many that are going through very difficult times. And I pray that our faith would be able to stand up to the persecution like many of the persecuted Christians are. We pray for peace in the, in the Ukraine. We pray for those in the service. You know, many are, have been gone away from their, their loved ones for the holidays. And that's difficult, Lord. It's difficult on, the, on them and their families. So I just pray that you'd be with them. So, Lord, we thank you again for tonight. We thank you for who you are. We pray that you be the pastor as he presents the word. And we thank you and love you for who you are. And pray that we'd honor you by what we say and do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn together to Ezekiel chapter 15. Last week we were looking at chapter 14 and we saw God's pronouncement of judgment upon Judah and he said in chapter 14 even if Noah or Daniel or Job were in Jerusalem not even they could spare the city from the coming judgment. That judgment was going, to, was going to take four different forms. There'd be the judgment of famine, the judgment of wild beast, the judgment of the sword, and the judgment of pestilence. And each time he said even if Noah or Daniel or Job was there, they could spare their own souls 
but it would not spare the city from judgment. As we come to chapters 15, 16, and 17 of Ezekiel, we have three different parables or allegories, whatever you may want to call them, in which God is just showing Judah and Jerusalem particularly of how they have been unfruitful and unfaithful and rebellious. You know, sometimes God's discipline when it comes to believers or God's judgment when it comes to the unbeliever, we as humans don't quite understand it. We sometimes think he's being unfair. We sometimes think that it's, it's, he's not being just. And so in these parables or these allegories, he's pointing out in a very vivid way how that they have indeed been unfruitful, though he had poured out his grace upon them, and how they had been unfaithful, even though he had done everything possible for them. And he just, in a very picturesque way, shows how they have been rebellious and unfaithful and unfruitful. In chapter 15, it's a parable or allegory of the vine. Chapter 16 is the parable of the child maturing into a young woman and marriage. And then chapter 17 is the parable of the two eagles. Now, we're not going to cover all of that tonight, but we'll begin here with chapter 15. Parable of the vine. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, what is the vine? What is the vine, tree more than any tree, or than a branch which is among the trees of the forest? Shall wood be taken of it to do any work, or will men take a pin of it to hang any vessel on it? Behold, it is cast into the fire for fuel. The fire devours both the ends of it and the middle of it is burned. It is fit for, it is, is it fit for any work? Behold, when it was whole, it was fit for no work. How much less shall it be fit yet for any work when the fire has devoured it and it is burned? He's speaking of the vine. And the vine wood is really good for nothing. Um, you can't really do anything with it. You know, other trees of the forest, if you have an oak tree or a maple tree or whatever, you can... Let's say you have an oak tree that doesn't bear any acorns, doesn't bear any fruit. At least you can use the wood to build something. But with a vine, vineyard, if it doesn't bear fruit, you can't even use the wood for anything. It's, it's worthless. He says you can't even make a, a pin out of it to hang something on. It's too flimsy. It won't work. And so a vine that bears no fruit is worthless, except to be burned. At least other trees, if they don't bear fruit, you can at least use the wood. And so he compares Judah and Jerusalem, the nation, with a vine that's not bearing fruit. and Therefore, it's worthless. The only thing left for it is fire, judgment. And so notice he says in verse 6, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, as the vine tree among the trees of the forest, which I have given to the fire for fuel, so will I give the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will set my face against them. They shall go out from one fire, and another fire shall devour them. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I set my face against them. And I will make the land desolate, because they have committed a trespass, says the Lord God. Again, sometimes it's hard for us humans from our perspective to understand God's judgment, and we think he's being unfair, we don't think he's being just. So God uses this parable and he compares Jerusalem with a vine. And he says, just like a vine that doesn't bear fruit is worthless, Jerusalem, you're not bearing fruit for me. You're worthless. The only thing left is judgment, fire. You know, uh, on many occasions in Scripture, God does compare, whether it's Israel or Judah, here Jerusalem particularly, uh, he compares it to a vine. And that's one of the, the accusations that God gave through Isaiah. You don't need to turn to it, but in Isaiah chapter 5, he says some very similar things. Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved, touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill, and he dug it, 
gathered out the stones and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a wine press in it. And he looked for it to bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. He says, I, I planted a vineyard and, and I, I did everything I could for it. I, I, I got the, the best piece of ground. I removed all the stones. I, I built a tower to, to protect it, to watch over it, to make sure the wild animals didn't come in and destroy it. He said, I, I built a wine press expecting fruit. And what I got was wild fruit. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, between me and my vineyard. What could I have done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then I looked for it to bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be eaten up, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. And I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah has his pleasant plan. And he looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry. He looked for the fruit of righteousness, and he got wild fruit. And so he said, I did everything I could for my vineyard. It brought forth wild fruit, so I'm just going to bring judgment. And so he says the same thing here in Ezekiel 15. I, I, I have this vineyard. It's fruitless. The only thing you do with a vine that's fruitless is burn it. Judgment's coming. And so that's a, a very simple, just eight verses long, a very simple parable to show that God is not being unjust, not being unfair. They did not bear the fruit that he planted them to bear. And so the only thing left is judgment. Do you have any questions or comments on that? It's fairly straightforward in that uh, parable. Any questions or comments? get into chapter 16 and that's uh, maybe not quite as straightforward and it's not eight verses it's more like 60 verses 63 verses to be exact and we're not going to read all those 63 verses tonight we are, we are going to get started into this uh, this particular parable and in this parable he 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 uses the illustration of a child maturing into a a young woman who is married but then commits adultery in the marriage. And the parallel is very obvious. God, in this parable, marries Israel. And Israel is unfaithful and commits spiritual adultery. And just as in the Old Testament, a wife who committed adultery, the judgment was stoning, he says, because you have committed adultery, spiritual harlotry, if you will, as he uses that example, I will bring judgment upon you. And so that's, that's in essence what this parable is about, but uh, he goes into a lot of detail. Again, he emphasizes how, how much grace he poured out upon Israel and upon Judah and uh, how much he had done for them and how they still were unfaithful and rebelled against him. So notice in the first five verses of chapter 16, Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations, and say, Thus says the Lord God unto Jerusalem, Your birth and your nativity are of the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite, and your mother a Hittite. And just stop there. Jerusalem was a city of Canaan. Israel, when they came into the promised land and took Canaan, did not start the city of Jerusalem. It was already there. So it was a city of Canaan, and Canaan was the land of the Amorites and the, and the Hittites. And so that's why he says here that Jerusalem, your father was the Amorites and your mother was the Hittites. They were the ones who occupied Canaan. They were the ones who started the city of Jerusalem. And as for your nativity... In the day you were born, your navel was not cut, neither were you washed in water to, to be cleansed. You were not salted at all, nor swallowed at all. That was just the procedure of a newborn baby. When, the, when a baby was born, the, the navel was not cut, you cut the umbilical cord, and, and you washed them up, and you, 
you clean them and you, you, uh, you swaddle them. You know, we just celebrated Christmas. And the angels told the shepherds they'd find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Well, that was the, the practice. He says, uh, when Jerusalem was born, none of that happened. In other words, Jerusalem was not any kind of a special city in the land of Canaan. Father was the Amorites, your mother was the Hittites, but it was just, a, just another city of Canaan. It was nothing special. No, I pitied you, in verse 5, to do any of these unto you, to have compassion upon you, but you were cast out into the open field to the loathing of your person in the day that you were born. It was not an uncommon practice, unfortunately, in this culture that a female baby born would just be left out in the field to die. That was not an uncommon practice. And so that's the comparison that God's making with the city of Jerusalem. It was started by the Amorites and the Hittites. It was nothing special. It was just kind of left out in the open field to, to survive on its own. Nothing special. Verse 6, And when I passed by you, this is God speaking, When I passed by you and saw you polluted in your own blood, and said unto you when you were in your blood, Live! Yes, I said unto you, when you were in your blood, live. I have caused you to multiply as the bud of the field, and you have increased and become great, and you are come to excellent ornaments. Your breasts are fashioned, and your hair is grown, whereas you were naked and bare. In other words, he's saying, I, I came along, and I took pity upon you, and, and, and you have matured into a young woman. Verse 8, now when I passed by you and looked upon you, behold, your time was the time of love, and I spread my skirt over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore unto you and entered into a covenant with you, says the Lord God, and you became mine. Spreading skirt over your nakedness, that was, that was the, the uh, um, sign of marriage. And so this is just picturing how, how God chose really the nation of Israel here specifically talking about Jerusalem, to, to be his wife. He took care of this city of Jerusalem. He took pity upon the city and made that city his wife. Then washed I you with water. Yes, I thoroughly washed away your blood from you, and I anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered work and shod you with badger skin. I girded you about with fine linen. I covered you with silk. I decked you also with ornaments, and I put bracelets upon your hands and chain on your neck, and I put a jewel in your nose and earrings in your ears, and, I, and a beautiful crown upon your head. You were, and you were decked with gold and silver, and your raiment was of fine linen and silk and embroidered work. You did eat fine flour and honey and oil, and you were exceedingly beautiful, and you did prosper into a kingdom." And your renown went forth among the nations for your beauty, for it was perfect through my splendor, which I put upon you, says the Lord God. God made Jerusalem a major city in the Middle East. God chose Jerusalem to be the capital of Israel under David. He chose Jerusalem to be the place where his temple would be built, the place of his dwelling. And Jerusalem became a, a very well-known, very popular, very powerful city in the land of Canaan and in all of the Middle East, especially under the, the uh, rulership of David and Solomon before the kingdom was divided. It was a very powerful city. God did that for Jerusalem. God did that for Judah, for Israel. And he's making this comparison between, uh, 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 he made a covenant with them, a marriage covenant, if you will. And that's, that's the parable that he chooses to use in this. Any, any questions on that? Does that uh, make, uh, make sense, the parable itself? Again, that's fairly straightforward, some pretty uh, graphic language. But he's just showing the grace that he poured out upon Jerusalem, on the people of Judah, the people of Israel. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, the, the, the false gods of the Canaanites, they, they demanded 
from their, their people. Uh, they were false gods, of course, but uh, the, the people of Canaan, they, they worshipped these false gods and they were, they were offering their children to pacify the anger of the gods where the God of Israel was just pouring out His grace upon them. But, you know, we've just concluded a series on Sunday mornings, the but gods. Well, this isn't specifically a but God, but it's a but. All that God had done for them, but, verse 15, but you did trust in your own beauty, and you played the harlot because of your renown, and poured out your fornication on every one that passed by, his it was. He says, as my wife, you committed adultery. You played the harlot. You were unfaithful to me. And he goes on, and this is where we'll not continue reading every verse, but he goes on and just says that, that they adopted the practices of the Canaanites. They adopted the worship of the false gods of the Canaanites. Instead of worshiping Jehovah, instead of worshiping the God that, that had poured out His grace upon them, they were unfaithful to Him, like an unfaithful wife committing adultery. They were unfaithful in committing spiritual adultery as they gave themselves to the false gods of the Canaanites. And he refers to that as, as playing the harlot. They prostituted themselves to the gods of the Canaanites and worshipped them. Uh, he even talks about in verse, uh, we'll jump down to verse 26, you have also committed fornication with the Egyptians, your neighbors, great of flesh, and have increased your harlotries to provoke me to anger. They adopted the gods of the Egyptians and committed spiritual adultery with the gods of the Egyptians. Uh, verse 28, you played the harlot also with the Assyrians because you were insatiable. Yes, you have played the harlot with them and yet could not be satisfied. Not only the gods of the Egyptians, but they, they worshipped the gods of the Assyrians committed spiritual adultery with the gods of the Assyrians as well. And then, verse 29, you have moreover multiplied your fornication in the land of Canaan unto Chaldea, the Babylonians, and yet you were not satisfied with this. They, they were never satisfied with all the false gods. They kept seeking more, seeking more, seeking more. God had poured out His grace upon them. As a husband on his wife, she commits spiritual adultery worshiping the false gods of the Canaanites, the false gods of the Egyptians, the false gods of the Assyrians and the Babylonians. It even gets a little more graphic in verse 30. How weak in your heart, says the Lord God, seeing you did all these things, the work of an imperious harlot, and that you build your eminent place in the head of every way and make your high place in every street and have not been as an harlot and that you scorn higher but like a wife that commits adultery who takes strangers instead of her husband. You gave gifts to all harlots, and you give your gifts to all your lovers, and hire them that they may come unto you on every side for your harlotry. And you are different from other women in your harlotries, whereas none follows you to commit harlotries, and in that you gave a reward, and no reward is given unto you, therefore you are different. He's simply saying here that, that you know, Again, if I can be graphic, a, a harlot or a prostitute usually gets paid for their harlotry. But he says, you're, you're different than that. You paid those who were committing harlotry or committing adultery with you. You were so insatiable, as he says, in your harlotries that you were willing to pay them instead of them paying you in your spiritual adultery. Again, very graphic, but he, he, he really makes the point of their unfaithfulness and how wicked they really were in that unfaithfulness, in their abominations, in their idolatry, and in their worship of the false gods. In those first 34 verses, um, he's really dealing with, with Israel's past. As we come to verse 35, in verses uh, 35 through 59, He's really talking about the current condition of Jerusalem, current to Ezekiel, that is. 
just exactly what was going on at, at the time of Ezekiel as he's writing. So he, he deals with, with Israel's past and their, their worship of false gods and their abominations and, and their spiritual adultery. But now he comes to, to the current situation. He says in verse 35, Wherefore, O harlot, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because your filthiness was poured out and your nakedness uncovered through your harlotries with your lovers and with all the idols of your abominations and by the blood of your children, which you did give unto them, they actually practiced uh, human sacrifice with their own children, following the, the abominations of the Canaanites. Behold, therefore, I will gather all your lovers with whom you have taken pleasure, and all them that you have loved with all them that you have hated. And I will even gather them round about against you and will uncover your nakedness unto them, and they may see all your nakedness. And I will judge you as women that break wedlock and shed blood are judged. And I will give you blood in fury and jealousy. And I will also give unto you, I will also give you into their hand, and they shall throw down your eminent place and shall break down your high places. They shall strip you also of your clothes and shall take your fair jewels and leave you naked and bare. They shall also bring up a company against you and they shall stone you with stones and thrust you through with their swords. He says, the very ones with whom you committed adultery, I will turn against you and they will be my arm of judgment against you. The Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, they would be used of God in bringing judgment upon his unfaithful wife. And again, as we said in the Old Testament, the, the uh, adulterous wife, the judgment was stoning. And so in verse 40, he uses that, that terminology, therefore shall also bring up, they shall also bring up a company against you and they shall stone you with stones and thrust you through with their swords. Again, very graphic, pointing out how God had poured out his grace upon them and they rebelled and were unfaithful to him. Because of that, he was going to bring their judgment. Again, um, the question would have been in the minds of, of those to whom Ezekiel was bringing this prophecy, well, well, this judgment that you keep talking about, this judgment that you say God's going to bring, that, that's unfair, it's unjust, it's not right. And so God uses this very graphic illustration to show that he is fair. He is just. Their abominations and their sin was great. And God would then bring that judgment upon them. He gets into uh, verses 44 through uh, 59. He starts talking about, uh, um, again, remember we're talking about Jerusalem. Yes, Joe. This is right around uh, um, 590, 588 B.C. The actual judgment upon Jerusalem came in 586 B.C. That's when the, the Babylonians came and destroyed the city, tore down the walls, destroyed the temple, carried people off into captivity in 586. And this would have been probably uh, a couple of years before that. Any other questions? In verse, beginning with verse 44, um, he starts to, to call um, Sodom, remember Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Samaria. Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. We have Jerusalem, the capital of the southern kingdom of Judah. And Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. And of course, that northern kingdom of Israel with Samaria was taken into captivity by the Assyrians about 140 years prior to this, 130 years prior to this. Because of their sin and their abominations and their idolatry, God took them into captivity. Now some 120 years later, God is talking to Jerusalem and saying the same judgment is coming upon you. But he refers to Samaria and to Sodom as the sisters of Jerusalem. Now again, Samaria originally started by the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites. Sodom, likewise, was a Canaanite city started by the Hittites and the Amorites. 
And so he's saying that Jerusalem, Sodom, and Samaria all have the same mother and father. And so you're sisters. Okay, that's, the, that's what he talks about in this parable. Sodom and Samaria were your sisters. Now, Jerusalem, of course, when, when this, you know, we read about the destruction of Sodom, way back in the book of Genesis, and so they saw Sodom, and, as, Sodom as, as this wicked city that God had to bring judgment upon them. He burned them up. And then they, they looked at Samaria, they're, they're 120 years earlier, and God brought judgment upon Samaria. And they, they, they condemned Samaria for their abominations and their sin. But now God's saying to Jerusalem, they're your sisters. And he actually says to Jerusalem, your abominations are even worse than Samaria's. Your abominations are even worse than Sodom's. Notice verse 44. Behold, everyone that uses the proverb shall use this proverb against you, saying, as is the mother, so is her daughter. Again, as you know, we sometimes say, uh, like father, like son. Well, this proverb is, is basically like mother, like daughter. And again, Jerusalem's mother was the Hittites. And so, uh, you are your mother's daughter that loathes her husband and her children. And you are the sister of your sisters who loathe their husbands and their children. Your mother was a Hittite and your father an Amorite. And your elder sister is Samaria. She and her daughters that dwell at your left hand and your younger sister that dwells at your right hand is Sodom and her daughters. Yet hast thou not walked after their ways nor done after their abominations, but as if that were a very little thing, you were corrupted more than they in all your ways. As I live, says the Lord God, Sodom, your sister, has not done, she nor her daughters, as you have done, you and your daughters. He says, you've done worse than Sodom. He goes on and says the same thing. Uh, um, verse 51, neither has Samaria committed half of your sins, but you have multiplied your abominations more than they. And so the very cities that, that Jerusalem would have condemned God's saying, you have sinned more greatly than they did. And that's why I must bring judgment. They were unrepentant. Um, we'll conclude with verse 52 here. Uh, you also who have judged your sisters bear your own shame for your sins that you have committed more abominable than they. They are more righteous than you. He says, in comparison, Sodom and Samaria are righteous. Compared to your abominations, they are more righteous than you, yea, you confounded, be confounded also, and bear your shame in that you have justified your sisters. God had poured out his grace more abundantly upon Jerusalem than any other, but they were still unfaithful. As we conclude tonight, we certainly have to ask ourselves the same question. Are we faithful? With reference to the vineyard, are we bearing fruit for our Lord? You go back to John chapter 15. We are the, he is the vine, we are the branches. The ones that bear fruit, he will prune to bring forth more fruit, but the ones that bear no fruit, he'll cut off. Are we bearing fruit for our Lord? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, is that the fruit that God's seeing in our lives? Or are we a worthless vine? And then when it comes to faithfulness, you know, James chapter 4 uh, talks about uh, uh, committing fornication because we are friends of this world when the world is the enemy of God. Obviously not talking about the world in the sense of people, but talking about this satanic world system with the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and, and how we can be caught up in this world and its lust. And we can be controlled by the lust of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And as we are controlled by the world's lust, we are committing spiritual adultery also. We are being unfaithful to our Lord, just as Israel and Judah and Jerusalem was. And so... Uh, um, as we read this, we need to look at our own lives. Am I being fruitful? Am I being faithful? 
God brought judgment upon Jerusalem because they were unfruitful and unfaithful. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you again for this lesson from the book of Ezekiel. You've told us in your word that the things which happened unto them in the Old Testament were they happened for our learning, for our exhortation. I pray, Father, that we would indeed be exhorted tonight to look at our own lives. Are we being faithful? Are we being fruitful? I pray, Father, that we would recognize that we must humble ourselves before your grace and recognize how gracious you've been to us in the recognition of that grace to humbly serve you and to bear fruit for you. Thank you again for your word, for its truths. I pray that we'd apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.